that's, I guess, what we are celebrating now, that we realize that things are not going to be the same. <laughs> things are not going to be the same forever anyway. So why try to force it? Let's, right. let's try and, and, and walk, through, walk towards better change now that we're here, now that we can do it. And I guess that's the, the biggest thing that COVID gave us. And I'll tell you that the, the connection of that is if you're not willing to change, that's a surefire way to die. And right now the mode is to survive and to survive well. Welcome to 3D View, one conversation, three different perspectives. I'm Lamondre Pugh. I am David Perez. And I'm Richard Strice. Thank you for joining us. Okay, welcome to 3D View. It is March now, and we wanted to take at least an episode to, to go over what has been a year with COVID-19, living a year, a full year with COVID-19. Because even though it's hard to actually pinpoint the specific moment that it all started for everyone, I'm sure that by March, every single person in the world knew what COVID-19 was and was starting to see the effects of COVID-19 in their houses, in their work, and basically everywhere they looked. I can recall being watching the news basically 24-7 for the whole month of March last year. And with now and been with this a whole year and things have happened, cool, amazing things have happened. And I really want us to discuss what happened and what's coming and what can come out of this. The floor is open, guys. I think one of the things that that's probably an obvious, I think at this point in time, and something that no one thought of or could project at the beginning was just from a business and corporate operational standpoint, the the dramatic effects it's had on a, a sort of a paradigm shift to how business operate. The fact that everyone's working remotely now, that was, even though there was a lot of individuals that were doing it, it was not commonplace still in, in larger corporate America, the old traditional financial businesses and so forth, that was still not common. And, and this forced the shift of that. And from a corporate standpoint, not necessarily having brick and mortar and office space and supplying coffee and air conditioning and so forth, they they didn't mind that so much. And they, they saw that it, people actually worked longer when they were working at home. The working day actually, actually ended up getting stretched. Yeah. There were more interruptions in between, which is actually not too dissimilar from a European model. By the way, the European model has a much longer day than we do, but they have longer, they have a couple breaks in between that are a couple hours. And, and as a result, productivity, even though there was an initial decrease, it did end up picking, picking up. And so I think that's a side effect that we're not going to go back from. I think that train has left the station and the idea of going nine to five to an office I think that the days of that, for the most part, are behind us and that we're going to be looking at newer employment models, employee-employer models. Yeah, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly, Richard. And what I remember distinctly when I realized how serious this was, I was at a mm -hmm. doctor's appointment. It was probably late February, like the last week of February. And I was at a doctor's appointment and was with my cardiologist. 
And he said, so what do you have going on? I said, well, I'm preparing for a trip because before all of this happened, I traveled quite extensively. And he said, a trip? I was like, yes, I'm going on a trip. He was like, cancel it. Don't go. And my cardiologist is a joker. He, he's like just hooch. But I, I looked at him. I said, are you serious? And he looked at me with a straight, cold face. He was like, cancel it. Don't go. And that was the first time I realized the seriousness of this. And shortly after that is when everything shut down. And that was like the marker for me of, whoa, there's something really going on. Because you saw certain things on the news and you heard certain things, but it still wasn't at world-changing levels as of yet. But the seriousness in which he approached it changed it for me. So let's fast forward a, a little bit. As you say, Richard, the world changed and the way that we see business, the way that we work, all of that changed. Here is one of the cool things I think that happened as a result of that. People who were typically marginalized because of things like transportation and because of environmental things like people with disabilities and accessibility issues, all of a sudden, many of those things cease to become a barrier or people without disabilities had the same issues. So now we've got to do something about it. So what did it do? Honestly, in many levels, it, it, it leveled a lot of playing fields. Yeah. Yeah. No. It's been a trip being involved in this world <laughs> when COVID happened because it's historic. It, it has been. It's something that will be probably live in history books for a long time. And as a cataclysm, as an event of such importance, more, a lot of things have changed. Of course, the way we work has changed, but there's also other things that have changed, like the way we see our friends most mm -hmm. of the time. The way people celebrate marriages, the, the way people get together. And with that, there's also the thing that that became political in the U.S. for some reason, and that's wearing masks. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, I wonder if, if it's something that we're going to be, that we're going to keep doing after we're, we're actually done with COVID-19 specifically. Do you think it's something that we can keep? Because it, it, it's good. I haven't been sick in, in a whole year. And I know it's because I've, I've been using a mask every time I go out, washing my hands, being healthier. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think those are habits that are now ingrained into our day-to-day -day, day -day routine. One of the, from a subconscious level, anything that you do for 30 days or more becomes a habit. It becomes then a subconscious habit. And this is, this is just a proven fact. This is just one of the, it's the Pavlov, the mm -hmm. bell with the feeding the dog routine. This is just, it's just something that we as a species, we, we fall victim to. And so as a result, after a year of getting used to washing hands and wearing masks, it's now become a habit. And I don't think, certainly some people will and it may fade off, but I, it's not going to be a one day to the next sort of thing. I think it's just, it, it, if it does fade off, it's going to take many years. And it may never fade off. There's lot of cultures that do it right now. The Asian culture, Japan and China, it's common, very common to uh, wear masks. It's a matter of respect and showing showing that you care about your uh, about your fellow in persons. If you're not feeling well, for example, you put a mask on before you go outside. That's just it's just what you do. And some people, especially the older generation 
populations in those cultures wear a mask going out, period, because of a pollution or not wanting to breathe things in that could harm them. I could see how we we could follow suit. As you said, you don't get sick. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you're, you stayed healthier longer. I think that's a... Longer than ever in my life. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I tell you, that really is a testament to what your mother always said, wash your hands. It's one of those things where some very basic things that we were taught and, <laughs> and told as a child, it's really making a difference now. I tell you, one of the things that I hope does die with the passing of, of COVID-19 is the politicizing of healthcare issues, uh, particularly something yeah. like this. The stupidity that was associated with the concept of wearing a mask is an issue of freedom and, and it's slavery to wear a mask. When I heard that garbage about it being slavery because you're asked to wear a mask, because you're asked to simply do the right thing in terms of protecting your fellow human being, you make it about slavery somehow. I wonder what the whip would have been like on your back then. I, I really yeah. wonder because you certainly would not have been able to deal with that. So I, I hope that portion of it, I hope we see how foolish and how dangerous it is to equate those two things or to make, to make things like science a, uh, a political issue. You know? I don't think that's going to happen, Lamondre. I, I, I don't want to be... Come on, man. I'm an optimist, man. Come on. I, I just saw this week a lot of people blaming clean energy for what's happening in Texas. I saw that too. <laughs> so, so, so it's not going to happen. They're, they're going to keep blaming the things that are science proved because it, it validates their point. So the idea what they want their agenda. So the idea is to perpetuate a narrative that is filled with falsehoods. It's not even an opinion thing. It is simply a lie. It's wrong when they blame this on, on, on clean energy and the issue in Texas, they said this is all because of clean energy when only 10% of that grid relied on clean energy. What about the other 90% that failed? Yeah, that's not important. <laughs> so it, it, so one of the things that I hope that it did, though, and I, and I swear, David, I know, I, I hear you, man. I hear you. But I'm again, man, I'm really trying. I'm trying to stay optimistic about this. I hope that the hypocrisy and the foolishness that that we all see, that everyone sees it, that people will stand up and say, wait a minute, one plus one is still two. And if that is true, <laughs> let's look at what other facts bear out and accept that as truth as well. We got to get back to really thinking, man. We, you know, I, yeah, I don't want to get too political, but I, I think the age of reason is still a little bit beyond our grasp in the short term, unfortunately. I think we still have some, there's still some hard road to cover with that's residual. It's residual zaniness. And that's only because that that group was given such prominence and uh, and such relevancy that they're not going to let go too easily of the opportunity that that type of of, of thinking and it will change because i think all things nature takes its course in in, in finding the middle finding the balance yeah. we, we the pendulum had swung so far to one direction that it's actually broken off its arm and landed on the floor now and that's it's got to get repaired before it can start swinging back the other way it yeah. will it's just a matter of how long that's going to take yeah. yeah, but let's stay away from 
Yes, that yeah, topic. Exactly. Well, <laughs> because I think we've covered it more right. than once. I, I do want to uh, ping off something that uh, David, that you mentioned, and that's the idea of what's become more sociably acceptable as a norm. And the idea that you can attend event remotely. Imagine five years ago saying, well, yeah, I'll go to your wedding. I'll call it in. I'll just hold the camera up and we'll be good. It's, eh. Yeah, not sociably acceptable, really. You know, <laughs> that wasn't. Now, absolutely. Now you, you know, get a cardboard cut out of yourself and have it in the thing. And that's very yeah. sociably acceptable. So, what we've done is shift our values of, of what is normal or what's not normal, what's accept, sociably acceptable, and what's considered a good, polite to be able to host a party and have some of the uh, quote unquote attendees be virtual in that process is, is innovative, is, is okay. Interestingly yeah. enough, and so that's brought families changed. together as a result. Uh, you know, right. uh, 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 it, it's done tremendous things with actually bringing families together. You know what? And uh, just to, to to give an example uh, of that, I was recently. First of all, I am roaringly single. Okay. Notice I said roaringly, but of course that would happen in the middle of a pandemic. So as now, like I could go out right. and meet uh, new people, but. I was recently invited to a speed dating event that was all virtual. That's all virtual. It hasn't happened yet, so I'll have to give you an update on how that goes. Mm. But it was so interesting to to get that invite, and it's because of we really can't get together face-to-face like that and meet new people, but people still want to experience that. And so I thought, this ought to be interesting. So we're going to do speed a virtual speed dating uh, situation. So, yeah, I'm ready. Oh, yeah. And it's so much easier to be on those events when you're not live. <laughs> like, it, it makes it easier for everyone, I think. Well, I don't know if that's true. I might be some sort of introvert. I think you might be, David. Like I that. think you might be. <laughs> but I, I do it. I do find it easier to to connect with a lot of people, given the fact that I just pick up the phone and video call them, mm. which is... It has been good for me. I don't know if it has been good for everyone, but I, I did reconnect with a lot of people and, and found myself talking to them for one hour or two just because we haven't talked in a while. And right. yeah. it, it, it was good for that, at least the fact that we were isolating. And we, we're talking about it as it already happened, as if it's over, but it's not. COVID it's, not. Still, it's still here and it's still around everywhere in, in the world. Situations that are different depending on on where you are and basically on the weather. Because we here in Costa Rica, we're doing fantastic. Like really, we're on almost 300 cases a day. Mm, wow! Like we are, we don't have many people in severe conditions from COVID, and we're already starting to rolling out the vaccine. So we are very good. While at the same time, in, I know that in the U.S. and in Europe, things are not that great. Yeah. And I Especially, guess it's because of the cold. Yeah. And some of the new strains as well, which has uh, uh, thrown some of So the second and third go-rounds now are, are including the newer strain, which is complicating, especially uh, over in Europe. But that's found its way here in the States as well now also. Right. And so that, that certainly is complicating. Travel is certainly something that's also been dramatically affected. Travel and, and then tourism in general, the tourism industry is, is unfortunately a casualty right now of this process. It's interesting that 
some groups have adapted as best they can and were quick to. And I've got to say, one of the groups that I saw that was right off very quickly adapting was Viking, Viking Cruises, with taking their tours virtually, right? So they have the long riverboat tours mm-hmm. throughout Europe and so forth. And popular uh, travel group. And uh, and what they've done is they've leveraged right away and embraced the virtual medium and have provided virtual triptychs that you could share with people and with and with leaders, uh, tour leaders that, that take you through a process, uh, routes, and whether it's like a museum, like a walking tour or something like that, and it's all virtual. So they're still providing that travel triptych type experience with, without living your room uh, and uh, and still being able to share that experience in a group environment, which is what people like to do when they go on those sorts of on, on those sorts of trips. So I thought that was clever of them to quickly adapt, and it was fairly quick that they turned that around and did something like that. It's interesting how some do and and some haven't, right? Some tourism organizations have not done any of that, and it's and it does dramatically affect economies that are especially in regions that are are very much tourism based. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, Costa Rica is picking back up, just so you guys know, because we are doing so well in mm. terms of cases that tourism is picking back up. Opening borders uh, back at, up. At a very and, healthy pace, yeah. yeah. Now, that's pretty, that, that's ahead, amazing. Lamar. And that's wonderful. That's wonderful to hear that things are picking back up, because I know that the Costa Rican economy relies on, on tourism. <laughs> very much so. Uh, as, yeah. as its major source of velocity, honestly. But something, something you said, David... That I think is important. He said we're, we're talking about this as if we're as if we're through it, and there's a reason for that. It's because we've settled into the fact that this is the reality, and so you kind of think. You remember when uh, when you could fly uh, out of the U.S. without <laughs> you know necessarily having to give up your first child in, in order to do that, <laughs> but now it's and th- the truth is when 9-11 happened, all of that changed. And we're now just relegated to a world of this is the reality of how we live. And so I think that is why we're speaking almost in past tense, because we've settled into it. Like I, I thought about it. I've only left my house three times since March a year ago. Three times. And normally I am like all over the place. I'm, they used to call me the mayor because... <laughs> You know, I don't be the stranger. And but now just I haven't left my house but three times since March. So I think we've gotten settled into, OK, this is the this is what reality is now. And I think once the world open back, opens back up uh, fully, I, I know we're still going to have a lot of that residual, a lot of that residual left over. But then that'll be something new to get used to again. That'll be something new to settle into and i think that especially the tourism industry especially the cruises if you remember cruises were a hotbed for COVID 19 and remember we had ships that were just off the coast that just had to sit there because it was running through the ships so i would imagine that they had to it's in order to survive they had to do something that would offer an alternative um one of them did anyway at at least to keep people interested (laughs) At right. least to yeah. keep people interested. No, it does not replace the experience, but it certainly hopefully engages people enough that they don't forget you can cruise and eventually you will again. Yeah. Yeah. There's actually a quote from Alvin Toffler that came to mind when you were talking about that. And it was, it's pretty old, that quote. I bet you guys have heard it more than once. I, I know I've used it on my articles more than once. And it's, 
the illiterate of the 21st century will not be those who cannot read and write, but those who cannot learn, unlearn, and relearn. Mm -hmm. And that's yes. what we had to see. People had to basically reinvent themselves mm -hmm. to survive. Those were the the, one, the companies that actually were successful during this pandemic. And they are going to be successful because innovation is not just a buzzword. No. It's something necessary for, for corporations, for governments, for businesses, for religious organizations to actually survive in, in the post-COVID world. It's right. just a reality. And that is yeah. something that has had a drastic shift in terms of faith-based organizations. Because particularly in, in my community, congregating is an important piece of that, being able to come together and not being able to do that. I've seen churches pivot and now they're running online services and how that content has changed, how the delivery has changed, has really been amazing to see. But what that's also done is it's also allowed it to open up to so many more people than they would have had before. Like for example, my church, I know we were already streaming our, our services out every Sunday or what have you. However, when COVID-19 hit, that effort became so much more robust. And honestly, it's grown. It has grown incredibly. And, and honestly, I, I, it will be interesting to see what it looks like when things open up again to see if we're, if we're going to have the number of people sitting in the chairs that we did prior to. Or will that increase? Will it stay the same or will it decrease? It's going to be a really interesting thing to see. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it brings up the idea of convenience of participation, right? The idea of wanting to participate, but it's a process, right, to go from point A to point B. If I can do that, where point A and point B is my bedroom to the kitchen, I'm going to be much more willing to participate in that right. type of experience. And, and, and that actually transcends not only from faith-based organizations, because you're, you're absolutely right. Certainly, my brother's involved with the church over in, Cal in California at an administrative level with his church, and they've seen that same process where the pews were getting less and less filled You know, for, for a number of years now. The trend was not great, but as a result of this, suddenly the number, the participation numbers right. shot through the roof. And so that, that provides, and that also carries over to to other organizations, participatory type organizations and nonprofits and so forth. I know I, I, I'm the president of a board of a, of a nonprofit and the board meetings used to be tough to get three or four people in there. And, and now the board meetings are, I have the full, very rarely is one or two individuals missing. And now I have the full complement of the board every meeting because we're, we've been doing them virtually now for the, for the past year. And so it, it's, it, again, it's the convenience of participation is much easier now. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Something else that yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not involved in any of those organizations in the administrative level, but it would be interesting to see if it has affected their finances in a negative way. Because you don't have people in there coming with their wallets, which might might be interesting to see how that trend happened, or if it, if something happened, or if it changed, or if it was better. I, I would yeah, be fascinated. Well, to I know. can I can tell you from my perspective, a lot of especially faith based organizations lost a lot because they passed the pan. They lost a lot. However, there are some that have been able to maintain because the level of engagement was already there. 
the engagement was already there. It wasn't a situation where we just thought about it as when you come, you give, but it was about really already being engaged fully uh, in that process. Mm -hmm. And so some have really thrived uh, during this time, but others have found it very difficult to keep the lights on. It's interesting because my, my brother actually happens to be the the, uh, the treasurer of, of of the church. And and so he's seen this, a cycle of this, actually. So initially, it was a very sharp decline, but then it picked up as they've made and implemented systems that allowed provided tithing and so forth to be, uh, again, convenient using, using PayPal, using other sort of uh, what have become typical uh, financial tools or, or, or transfer tools, that has, they, they've now seen an in, increase in uptake up to almost about where they were. So it's interesting. And, and some of that may be uh, geographically based and so forth at different communities yeah. will we'll have different responses to it. But uh, it, interesting, that was the experience that he's seeing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's going to, vary from place to place some countries didn't actually have lockdowns and things <laughs> happen different but one thing that remains true and that's that reinventing was necessary and they had to Adapting. change the way they, they were doing things to actually be able to still be here <laughs> we had to everyone mm -hmm. had to so that's i guess what we are celebrating now that we realized that things are not going to be the same Things are not going to be the same forever anyway. So why try to force it? Let's, right. let's try and, and, and walk, through, walk towards better change now that we're here, now that we can do it. And I guess that's the, the biggest thing that COVID gave us. And I tell you that the, the connection of that is if you're not willing to change, that's a surefire way to die. And right now, the mode is to survive and to survive well. So having that adaptation, being able to change and adapt to the situations, th that I think has been a lifesaver. One of the things that I have found uh, really interesting is that even though we cannot necessarily meet as much as we would have in the past, sometimes these virtual connections allow you to see into someone's environment so you see who they are, or at least what they or at least like where they are, where they're most comfortable typically in their environment. And I'm looking at the screen right now. I'm looking at the three of us. And I know that, that David loves coffee. I know that. I can see it in his background. And that's a wonderful thing because that's a part of who he is. And, and the thing is, I knew that even without seeing that. But seeing that kind of, boom, that's David. Richard has such an incredible vast of experience and, and such a, a vast array of experiences. And, and Richard is one of these guys who's like a Swiss army knife, except he's actually effective because in some instances, Swiss army knives are not, but he is. And so he has all these different tools and kind of a global perspective of things. And if you look behind him, You'll see the map and you'll see the whole nautical thing. And, and, and it's just amazing with that. And behind me right now is a painting because I'm really into the arts and I love culture and that kind of thing. And this was not, this is not something that we did for the show, but it's certainly <laughs> something that allows people to get a glimpse of who you really are. So even though we might not be able to get some of the cues that we would have gotten if we were actually face to face, there's still other ways to see who people are. And this is a part of what I think this has led us to is that we're starting to look a little deeper 
into people and really realizing that the human connection is much more than just who's across the street from me, but it's who can I really connect with? And I believe that's one of the blessings that has come from this. Yes, we've had a lot of hardship. Yes, we've had a lot of, a lot of loss during this time, but we've learned a lot of lessons as well. And we've made connections on levels that we might not have before. I loved hearing David talk about, I talked to people that I hadn't spoken to in a long time, and we'll talk for an hour just because we have not spoken for a while. In, in actual real contact kind of things, most of the time, well, I gotta run, gotta go meet somebody else. And so we don't take the time just to actually share that cup of coffee or to express the experiences that you've had from around the world or just to gaze on a beautiful piece of art. So I think that's one of the things that this has allowed us to do. And honestly, for that, I'm thankful. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's the best way to end the episode. Thank you, guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for joining us this week on 3D View. Make sure to visit our website, ruglobal.com slash 3D View. That's ruhglobal.com slash 3D Or you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts or join our YouTube channel so you will never miss a show. While you're at it, if you find value in the show, we appreciate it if you would leave a like or comment or simply tell a friend about the show. That would really help us a lot too. If you would like to join our conversations, you can join our Facebook community, 3D View, three perspectives, one conversation. Thank you.